What up, what up, what up? Welcome back. It's another episode of the Dynasty of Dawn. I am joined today by Nate Polvote at Nate Polvault on Twitter and Matt Chester at FF Mad Jester. But before we get too deep into it today, we got a lot to cover. Let's drop that intro. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app. The only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. Like, share, subscribe, download that app. What up, what up? I'm so happy to be back. This is Christmas time for Dynasty folks. We are post-draft. Rookie drafts are popping off left, right, and center. Lots of them happening as we record. Both me and Matt just went on the clock before we hit record today. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be here with two of my favorite people in the industry, bar none. I've got Nate with me, who is one of the best people in the industry period one of the smartest people in the industry period funniest most lovely handsome all of that he's a writer and podcaster he does everything under the sun at ibt media works at ff dino diehards and rasball he's a member of the fantasy sports writer association my guy how you doing doing great man thanks for having me um i'm just out here footballing brother it's what we do you know what you do it's what you do that's my man. That's my man. And of course, up in the corner here, you, well, I mean, if you're checking it out on YouTube, which you better, we got my boy Matt Chester at FF Matt Jester. Everybody values everybody differently. It says so on his Twitter bio. He works for Fighting Chance Fantasy Sports and at the Undroppables. You can find Fighting Chance at FC Fantasy Sports on Twitter. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good. I'm thrilled, man. It's been a, a wild week. Had a few startups, uh, or had a few rookie drafts. Yeah, it's it's everything's in movement right now and it's uh it's a whirlwind yeah and i mean as art imitates life and life imitates arf and uh, <laughs> i almost got that sentence out completely but as life imitates art um obviously the nfl is being twisted and shaken up on its head so as the dynasty market and, and all of the adps and and player values are doing so as well landing spots certainly affect everything with that a little icebreaker question to get us into it I know that you're a Saints fan, Matt, as am I, but I'll let you have the floor for this. How do you feel overall about the Saints draft? I know we didn't really have a high-end first due to the Olave trade, but got a back-end first. So what were your thoughts overall? I'll be honest with you. I saw this on the show sheet, and when it it said, uh, you know, Nate's favorite team, you cover the Broncos. Matt's favorite team, you cover the Saints. You're Matt, and your favorite team is the Saints, so I was hoping you'd cover that, and I didn't prepare for this one. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i like as far as it goes like i i I think we can be happy that we had a first at all obviously i would have liked to have seen nolan smith i even tweeted this out like it seems as if we were just for the past two to three seasons have just been an asset farm for the eagles but like with the chauncey gardner signing obviously that that's also where um uh malcolm Help me out with his name. Jenkins. Jenkins. Thank you very much. See, you are prepared, man. Also, where Malcolm Jenkins walked and, and signed with him, had a terrific career, went on their Super Bowl run. Chauncey went there as well. So it seems like we've just been an asset farm. We as the Saints, yes, I say we get used to it, fans. Um, but and then obviously we trade them Chris Olave. They were able to get 
Jalen Carter still. And then with the pick, get Jalen Carter. We're able to get Jordan Davis still last year with the pick this year, get Jalen Carter. And then it's Nolan Smith for reasons unbeknownst to mankind with his size and speed and production that he had at Georgia falls all the way to the saints who desperately need edge rushers right now um, with cam Jordan getting a little older and Pete Werner, not really turning into the superstar that they were hoping. And, and obviously Davenport being off his contract, they decide not to make that selection and just allow the Eagles to get Nolan Smith. So we've just set the Eagles defense up with four to five all pro assets in the last decade. And that's really rough to see. So um, I'll say this. Um, I will defer to Dennis Allen when it comes to defensive guys, because he's a defensive coach enough. and he was, uh, he's been with the saints for years and years as a defensive coordinator until they, they pulled him up to head coach last year. So I'll trust his judgment on defense with the saints um, because I have to <laughs> emotionally. I have no and, I guess, I guess I do. I do know what the Saints drafted, and I'll just say I'm uninspired. There you go. Yeah, I feel the same way. Now, Nate, Denver native, Broncos fan. I assume. Yes. Yes. Of okay. Course. Good. Of course, you have to be if you live yes. here. Okay. <laughs> you know. So, again, no first round pick as it went to the Saints for the rights to sign Sean Payton to a right. lucrative coaching deal. Um, but. Overall, I kind of liked Denver's draft. It was strange, but I liked some of the assets. How do you feel about Denver's draft overall? So I really like it. Uh, the Marvin Mims pick was a little interesting, and them not going after a running back, I thought, was kind of curious. But they did the things they needed to do. They got help on defense where they needed it. They got some corners. They got a safety. They got Drew Pearson, the linebacker. <clears throat> I'm sure I just said the wrong name. <clears throat> Drew Sanders, whatever. There are Drew Pearsons in this world. The Drew Sanders pick is uh, now we've got somebody to cover Travis Kelsey pick in my mind, which is something they had to do to compete in this division. And with Marvin Mims, it just makes you wonder. They must have no faith in Cortland Sutton, which why would you? For wide receiver 44 and wide receiver 43 over the last two seasons. I think Mims fits into this offense nicely. I think it's a signal that they're going to move Jerry Judy outside with either Cortland Sutton or Tim Patrick and that we're going to see Mims in the slot because he's a smaller guy. He's not a huge wide receiver, but he works well underneath. And it's something that this Denver offense needs and something Russell Wilson needs. So, I, I mean, I give him an A on this draft. I think with the limited number of picks that they had um, and then moving up for Mims, I thought was a little curious when the trade was announced. Like, well, who could they possibly be moving up to get? Like, it better not be something stupid. And it wasn't. And I was ecstatic. Jen will vouch for me. I was very loud about my <laughs> on this pick. So all in all, I mean, I think it was a good draft. The saints seriously, it was completely uninspiring, but yeah, we had, we had, um, what's his name? Dennis Allen in Denver for long enough as a DC. And then he was the head coach, I believe in Oakland when they were still in Oakland, they yep. were still in Oakland, <clears throat> those teams were uninspiring too. So it's what you get with Dennis Allen. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with that. Again, I, I kind of I kind of fall into place that I, I assume he knows at least what he wants out of these picks, and hopefully that at the very least he's checking those boxes. But again, I, I think we can all agree that pretty uninspiring from the Saints, and and definitely some shocking trades, some shocking moves. I mean, we saw Houston become the first team in NFL history to trade up into the first three picks after owning a 
top three pick already of their own. Um, that had never happened before. The only other team in the history of the NFL that ever selected in the top three were the Colts in 1992, I believe. So it's only ever happened twice. A pretty incredible scenario there. Lots of shocking picks. Um, can can and- we talk about you? You touched on trades, but let's uh, let's stick with Denver and New Orleans because there, it seems like there's a pipeline, not just the three of us, but between New Orleans and Sean Payton and being in Denver because he seemed he he picked up uh, he brought Marquez Callaway along with him. He brought Tony Jones along with him. He brought Al, uh, not Alberto, the Saints Alberto Troutman. He brought Adam Troutman. Troutman. Yeah, he brought yeah. Troutman with him. It seems like there's a, he's he's trying to build around a, what he had a little bit, which is tough if you want to pick out which uh, which fantasy weapon you want to use from the Denver offense yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean. Uh- I agree, but I'm definitely going to give a little pushback there just in the sense of like, obviously every coach has a certain scheme and a certain system that, you know, this guy does this well on, on this down and and Adam Troutman being very much a run blocking specialist and and arguably a better run blocker than half of Denver's current offensive line. (laughs) Like he's, I I think there's definitely some nepotism there like there there's that can be noted matt like you're not you're not wrong in that sense but i don't think that it's really going to shift anything like any good coach does they adjust their system to the talent that is around them now i also think there is something to be said about like that mims pick where mims to me is very and and this isn't a common comp because of how misused oklahoma was and how productive this player i'm about to name was in college but he's very brandon cooksey and I think that that's what Sean Payton saw in Mims. And he's like, I've had that before. I know what I can tell that to do. And that'll work this way in one of my many schemes. Because, because if you remember, that, if you remember five teams ago, Sean Payton drafted Brandon Cooks. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I even as a, even as a New Orleans fan, it's hard to remember all the places that he's been through. But that's where uh, Cooks started his career. So if if you think he has an archetype, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah and I, I I think Sean's definitely doing some of that, maybe some of an older era, um, because again, he, he started to transition his system a bit when Drew Brees was getting a little older. You were certainly seeing a lot more checkdowns and, and, and that um, completion percentage skyrocket to all of those record-breaking numbers, and it, it certainly worked out to Drew's favor, but that's when you can kind of definitely lean towards more is it the system or the player? I, I think Sean's smart enough to know what weapons he has in Denver. And, and the again, like the Marquise Callaways, the Adam Troutmans, they might get a little bit of nepotism as far as snap percentages are concerned, but they're not there to take away anything from what he has. Well, they're not the type of player who's going to... I mean, I love Marquise Callaway, but he's not going to compete with Jerry Judy or Marvin Mims. It's just plain and simple. He's not... He's a good receiver, but he's not that level of wide receiver, in my opinion. If he was, he would have been for them back then. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I mean, there was no sh- like my my only problem is that um, you know, Dulcich and out Al- like out Al- it was Alberto until it was Dulcich, and now there's three of them, and that that sucks even more. And then it was like, all right, well, it's just Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton because uh, Hamler's injured, and so is uh, Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick, and then even when Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton were both in the field. N- they both couldn't eat. It just wasn't happening. So now Hamler's back. They've bring, they're bringing in Callaway. Also, they've got a third tight end. These coming just in. Like, replacement just level players. So like they yeah. genuinely don't matter. Sure. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, but uh, <laughs> look, 
players that do matter were like, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a certain, and I think, you know what, to like help that transition a little, those guys don't even have the insulation of draft capital. And why is draft capital so important? It's because it leads to immediate like this guy's job is here. We can place him on the depth chart here. And even if that you can certainly use draft capital to round out analytic profiles, I don't think it should be the end all be all um, for analytic profiles. I think you should build your profiles and your rankings pre-draft and allow the NFL to tell you what the difference maker is between your tiers. I.e., You can have four guys ranked very similarly. And when the NFL drafts them all four in a row, you can go, oh, this is how they feel about these guys, these landing spots. I feel this way. This is where I can separate the tiers. Um, but with that said, like players along those Marquise Callaway, the undrafted wide receivers, the Rakeem Jarrett's of this draft class, the KJ Hamler's, the, the second to third round speedsters, like the Josh Downs and, and Marvin Mims of this class, those guys are great for real life football schemes, but for fantasy production, the draft capital certainly tells you a little bit of how the NFL feels about these guys and kind of to go back to that. If he was good enough to take those snaps and those touches, he would have done so already. If the, if that team felt like he was good enough to have them, they would have used that draft capital on him earlier. So I guess that's going to bring me like, I'm going to ask this to Nate. What, why does the NFL draft and where these players land in these subsequent moves and these team choices affect rookie rankings and dynasty markets so drastically? Like, why well, is that? It, for me, it's pretty simple, Matt, Matt's, because when you're drafting a player that high, the expectation is they get all the chances. So if you've got a first round running back and a fourth round running back, the first round running back, he's going to get the chances because let's be realistic. This is a business. And they're making yep. more money. And you want that higher paid player to earn that money. Whereas like a guy who goes in the fifth, sixth round, I mean, you're not on the hook for much. You might not even keep them on your roster after camp. Those guys do get shots. We've seen it. We saw a guy like Terrell Davis. He was a sixth round pick. Tom Brady was a sixth round pick. Russell Wilson was a third round quarterback pick. But it takes something happening like Matt Flynn tanking and looking absolutely terrible in camp. Russell Wilson wins the job as a rookie and the rest is history. Now he sucks for the Broncos. But <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Where these guys go in the draft matters because that tells you how these teams are going to use them. Immediate chance or something has to happen for this person to get on the field with significant time. Yeah, absolutely. And to take that a step further, because we, you know, you did mention some some high drafted quarterbacks getting pushed out by lower level drafted quarterbacks. But that is essentially saying like that gives them a leash. And from a dynasty perspective, especially because we had three quarterbacks drafted in the top 10, that gives them a leash not only with their team, but a leash within the dynasty market. And it's a, a very recent example, but you can go back as far as Josh Rosen, as I have brought up on the pod before and, and done ADP studies of, like dynasty value and in, in ADP from year one to year two for rookie quarterbacks is virtually insulated without effect, regardless of their production. Like they can only go up. Where they enter, essentially, like we were talking about ADPs a little bit before we got on the mic and where um, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, and CJ Stroud were falling around the third, fourth round. They're not going to be valued below that in next year's draft. No. Like they might lose a slight bit, but even Zach Wilson, who had arguably one of the worst rookie seasons of all time, was a 
eighth round startup pick or seventh round startup pick when he first entered the league and was a seventh round startup pick the following season with no real job security or confidence from the franchise and one of the worst statistical seasons anybody's ever seen. The dynasty market was in a super flex league was still like, you know what? There's a chance. And that's really what it, and it's that leash of like, he's got the starting job for at least one season, probably two. And that is guaranteed in these top rated quarterbacks, these, whether you want to take the upside swing on Anthony Richardson or feel a little safer with the floors of Stroud and Young for their passing prowesses, irregardless, it's the value insulation that they have. And that's what draft capital tells us. If just based on so many historic studies, if they were drafted just in the early first, like Will Levis, or very late in the first, um, a la Lamar Jackson. Luckily, that production panned out. But they would not have the same value insulation at all. The dynasty market would be much more willing to move off of them, a la a Jordan Love, who had first-round draft capital but didn't play, be much more willing to move off of them um, the following season. So that's two of the reasons why I think draft capital is so important. And I'm going to shift this one to, to Mad Jester here, too. The fourth round for running backs. Is that the new third round, which is really the new second round, which is really the new first round because the second round is first round for running backs? Like, is the de- the devaluing of the position in the NFL, we're always going to see good prospects get drafted in the fourth and fifth now? I don't know how to say this without sounding ridiculous, but Houston might have been ahead of the curve sticking with Damian Pierce. That's a – I mean – <laughs> that's a good take. That's, I mean, but just saying those first few words together that, that the H town was ahead of the, uh, the rest of the NFL <laughs> makes me feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm do I'm, uh, doing results over process, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, there, that can, but because it's such a small sample size of this transitional period and, and so to speak, a new era and, and a new leaf of we don't care about running backs or they're always going to be fourth and fifth rounds or we'd rather have the Isaiah Pacheco and then rotate another Isaiah Pacheco four years later instead of ever extending or picking up a fifth year option. Like, because Zeke ruined the market. I don't think that you're crazy. It's weird to give them the credit for it, oh, no, it really <laughs> because <is. laughs> the, the bills have been going zero running back since OJ, <laughs> but jeez, <laughs> what I'm just, I mean, you're After not wrong, OJ, they had yeah. to. but it is, but you're not wrong because the Houston did not invest draft capital in another running back, you know, and neither did Tampa Bay who got Rashad white very late in the third last season. And, Obviously, Pacheco, the Kansas City Chiefs, did not invest draft capital in a running back, right? So it's very interesting. Like, these teams might not necessarily be ahead of the curve, but buying into something that I think the dynasty market is laid on. So so maybe the curve is always spinning around, and they fell off the ride a little bit early. And as uh, as the teacup went around another time, the rest of the teams were like, hold on, it worked out for them. Yeah. And so they're starting to do that. And I, I do really like that you put this in tonight's show because it is really interesting to me how much these running backs are falling in rookie drafts. We've been talking about the running back class of this of this year for two years now. Three, and now really there are so I mean, many like Tank and Bijan both broke out as true freshmen. Gibbs was a Paul Hornung finalist as a true freshman. So like, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been a long time, and uh, I'm sure when Roshan uh, a year before that was a huge breakout too, and he just got covered up by Bijan, which is it happens. But uh, 
I think it's I think that what I'm finding in rookie drafts that are that are happening since the NFL draft is that we all as a dynasty community have been saying zero RB, zero RB, zero RB. When are when is the NFL going to learn that you know that you get more production by paying the line a bunch of money and having a better line protect for some jag who's you know just doing what he's supposed to do and and that's fine. And so we've been moving towards zero RB slightly ahead of the NFL. And we've just been patting ourselves on the back and saying, look how smart we are. When is the NFL going to learn? When is the NFL going to learn? Blah, 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 blah. And I think that maybe the NFL learned this year. And instead of saying, hey, they did it, we can adjust our ranks according to what the NFL feels about these players by shifting RBs down um, to where they think that they should be. Instead, we, we're looking at all these RBs as failures because they're right. getting such low draft capital. Yep. And now I'm finding that all the 109 to 205s that I was saving up to get, uh, you know, I just wanted to get like four of these uh, RB five through tens. I want to get like four of them early right. second. Now we're getting all these third round wide receivers who never work out, uh, jumping them in rookie draft order and we're yeah. able to get all the tank bigsby's at 206 and and it's right. uh it's great so <laughs> we we i guess we the nfl caught up to us and instead of saying hey we did it we went hand in hand with them we just kind of like turned around and said oh no what happened what happened and the nfl is like crossing the finish line while the hares slept and the tortoises are like showing us to you know move back to the second round and get two of those guys they're not worthless just because yeah, the NFL I mean, caught up. I, mean, I think you make a bunch of really great points. And I'm going to pop it off to Nate to hear his thoughts on this as well in a second. But I think it's, I mentioned a little bit earlier on um, that I think we've, everybody invested so much into this class because there was so much running back depth. Mm -hmm. And then the NFL saw that and goes, well, let's just play you know, take the last of the tier as we also do in drafts. So let's let these guys slide to the end of the third, the fourth, the fifth. The, the running didn't backs didn't get, they didn't production. get worse. Right. So yeah. it, it's, it's, and if that continues for forever and, and, and always, if they just continue to do this with running backs because of, you know, cost of contract and level of replacement, then so there's an, there's another factor that I want to, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump back in. No, I, when I was just, just going to say that then it comes down to, basically like how do you value the running back overall if if it continues and then we can change our hit rate models to say look fourth round is the new third which was always the second because second round is first round for running right like it really does go like that you very rarely see only generational running backs and then the detroit lines getting crazy on gibbs going the first round um so nate it's like the, the one thing that I want to ask you before we kind of switch topics to the, the next draft piece is like, is the running back position dead? Dude, it feels like it's getting there, doesn't it? Because <clears throat> yeah. now you've got, so Bijan, obviously, perfect landing spot in Atlanta, in my opinion. He's the only running back that should have gone in the first round. Jameer Gibbs going that early to the Lions, like what's happening? You had DeAndre Swift, who is just Jameer Gibbs, but a couple of years older. We don't know that Jameer Gibbs is going to be more durable than DeAndre Swift. And he's essentially the same runner. He's not a guy who can pound at the line. He's not a guy who's good between the tackles. He's a flighty pass catching running back, but even his value to me, he's going too early in rookie drafts because he's got David Montgomery, who is a very similar runner with just a little bit more power between the tackles 
than Jameer Gibbs has. Then you've got Seattle taking Zach Charbonnet. He was like, what the hell is happening? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. Maybe we're a little too high on Ken Walker. Maybe he had a really good rookie season. Sure. Can he replicate that? I don't think Pete Carroll and the Seahawks think so because they brought in Zach Charbonnet. You had guys like Kendra Miller slipping back, which I totally understood because he's kind of that old school type runner, like an Emmett Smith runner. That doesn't work in the NFL anymore. That's not what the league is. They're looking for these shifty, quick guys. And it's hard to find value in these guys. Now we're getting to a point the Derrick Henry's of the league. When he's gone, there will never be another Derrick Henry. That's just like big, powerful runner who can just blow through people, but has no pass catching acumen whatsoever. The position's changed. And like you were saying, Matt, like fantasy kind of got ahead of it a little bit, but now that the NFL's caught up, dynasty managers are regressing. Like, we're, I we're double counting. We're double counting them catching up. We're double yes. counting the draft capital. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is never, it's not, it's simply not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Um, so another, another factor about the, them taking draft capital into account with uh, running backs being re- replaceable is that the wide receiver market is getting so much more expensive that if you want to do really good things and it's getting more expensive um, for a few reasons, but one of them is that the NFL is just becoming more pass happy. And as it becomes more pass happy, they're going to want more three wide receiver sets. So wide receivers are going to be more, uh, they need, you know, the, it, they're neat. The, the equilibrium equilibrium needs to uh get back into stasis and they need to have more uh, wide receivers in the league to soak up all those targets. And so, so, uh, and the fact that they're expensive means that the best way for NFL teams to do that right now is to go through them is to just get them on their rookie contract and work around the fact that they know that those guys are going to be expensive later. Whereas the running backs are not going to be expensive later. They're going to be very fungible, very re- replaceable. So they're trying to cre- like they're trying to settle a new formula into everything with money and draft capital. And it's just we all knew that it was going to happen, and then it did. And now we're getting all the the cheaper running backs. Uh, you know, Charbonnet's in the second now. That's silly. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I do still think it's a very small sample size to be able to change that analytic model, but that's kind of, there's always going to be the, the analytic pushback because of how much historic data you have to look back, look at so that when changes do actually happen, it takes those changes becoming historic data before, you know, they really kind of change the model. Um, But with that said, I I think that kind of goes into smaller wide receivers as well. And, And you saw it, Obviously, Addison was the one this year in the first round, but for ever and ever and ever, you never saw wide receivers like below six foot and 180 pounds drafted in the first. They could have, you know, kind of outlier breakouts, so to speak, a la T.Y. Hilton and Brandon Cooks, but you just didn't see them get that first round draft capital, right? So with that said, like, one, are we a little disappointed about this wide receiver class? Whereas, you know, we were hoping for maybe some top 10 uh, super elite profiles when you round out with top 10 draft capital. And is there a new norm where guys like Addison, Zay Flowers are going to continue? 
Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Marky are going to continuously get first round draft capital. The new wide receiver mold in the NFL isn't 6'3", 220. It is seemingly, you look at all of these guys being uber productive. And yes, you can argue that for everyone, there is an AJ Brown, there is a Jamar Chase, there is a true alpha, but you're also talking about 1400 yards and 14 touchdowns on 91 catches. I don't care what they measure in at. Well, I think this goes into how the league has changed in general. <clears throat> They're prioritizing safety, right? So corners and safeties can't play as tough on these guys. They can't hit them the same way that they used to. So you don't need a Calvin Johnson. Most offenses don't want a Calvin Johnson type player. They want the short, small guys that can move through traffic. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but if you kind of look at how it's progressing and more safety, keep these guys safer. We don't want the big hits. We don't have the big hits. You don't need that big dude yeah. all the time. That's what your tight ends are for. Now you use your tight ends in the end zone, in the red zone for those jump balls. You don't need that big receiver. You do get the guys who can do it. You get the Jamar chases and the AJ Browns who are bigger guys, but that's becoming more and more a rarity. If you look across the league. Yeah, and I think I'll toss this one to Matt, too, because I think he made a great point previously in the fact that these guys are also getting first round draft capital because the more that it becomes a passing league, the more wide receivers that are needed in general. And you know that you can't allow these guys to slide because it's a copycat league. All 31 other teams are thinking the same thing as you are. I need three of these guys to be able to compete in this league. Right. So with that, Matt, are, are you disappointed at all with the four wide receivers that did see first round draft capital and the ones that kind of slipped back where Jalen Hyatt didn't get any good draft capital? And he was obviously a Belitnikov winner, had a very phenomenal junior breakout that Josh Downs, a 40 percent target earner and 40 percent market share earner. Phenomenal analytical profile, didn't get draft capital, but guys like Jaden Reed did. I'm not disappointed in this, uh, in the in how this wide receiver class ended up after the draft because I wasn't expecting this much to attention to happen to the wide receiver draft. I'm actually really thankful for this wide receiver draft because a lot of these second and third round wide receivers are going to jump a lot of these uh, running backs that we would have that would have been you know we were arguing well who's going to go at the end of the first and we would name like six running backs last year and now we're like oh well you know Josh Downs is. Uh, you know, there's all these, all these like third round guys who, who might be something. And uh, if we've been looking at this class the right way since before draft capital over the last few years, this might be a good time to stick to your priors because part of the narrative about running backs uh, this year was that the 2017 class and 2018 class was going to start aging out. We're seeing it with Zeke. We're seeing it with uh, everybody's Aaron, Aaron Jones is uh, 28 years old. Camara, we don't know about him. Alvin There's Cook, Joe Mixon. All these other guys. They were all in so, the same draft class. And now we're forgetting about that again? So we're forgetting about <laughs> them getting older. We're forgetting about, you know, we're like, oh, these guys, you know, like they, they all these running backs got terrible spots. Yeah, because these old running backs who were studs are still in the league for another year or two. But if this is a historically stronger, deeper running back class, this might be a good time to just stock up on a couple of those guys and be as patient as we had been knowing that we wanted to be over the last two years when we were gaining all these 23 picks. Yeah, I think that's really sound advice. 
I think that's absolutely excellent. And I mean, with that in mind, there's obviously, I think we, the most obvious is Bijan to the Falcons. Like Arthur Smith is going to run the football. He hates Kyle Pitts. He doesn't care that he has a unicorn in him and Drake London. He goes, don't care about your target share. Desmond Ritter, who I'm also going to let get 15 rushes a game. And the best generational running back that we've seen since Saquon Barkley, arguably let's get those guys on the same offense together. And then I'm just going to build offensive line throughout the draft. Like he's not going to pass the football. He's not going to pass the football. I think this actually might be a discount on Kyle Pitts that is finally warranted that I'm actually not going to buy the dip on. I'm not touching it. Yeah. I've been burned (laughs) two years in a row, dude. This is, I I know we all got so mad, like throw the ball to Kyle Pitts because he's such a talented tight end. But dude, this is one of those situations where landing spot matters, and it mattered really hard for Kyle Pitts. Can can Desmond Ritter support Drake London being a top tier fantasy receiver? I mean, he could be a wide receiver one to like a high end wide receiver two. But I mean, really, that's his ceiling. Is this isn't a guy who's going to sneak into the top five in this offense because Agreed. they got Bijan Robinson. And the dude is going to, what, 400 touches, 450 touches his rookie season? Yeah, I mean, season? probably more. Because he, <laughs> no, he can catch, he, too. He can catch the ball. As a rookie is, is legit. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. Like, I, I and people are going to be like, nobody. And it's like, no, like, that's probably completely okay. You're talking about 300 rush attempts and 100 targets. Like, do y'all know opportunities, who... I should say, whether he turns all of those targets. And, and I mean, sure. I genuinely think he's going to get that. Do y'all yeah, remember and, and, who flipped the switch on Derrick Henry's usage after DeMarco yeah. Murray left? Arthur Smith did. Bijan yeah. Robinson's coach. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Easy. And that I, I do think that is the best landing spot for anyone in this draft class as far as prospect strength goes. And also arguably the worst landing spot for the people that are already on that team. Just because it, it solidified what we were already like told throughout two entire seasons at with Arthur Smith as the head coach and just kept being like, nah, we're fantasy analysts. We know better. You have Kyle Pitts. <laughs> like, so and he's I, just going, don't care. You want to know why? A little bit on this? Block. Like, I'd like to cook back a little bit on this. Um, you're, you're describing AJ Brown two years ago to yeah, me, 100%. which is fine, which is fine. So, uh, Matt, we have Guess to, who we, his coach was, <laughs> we have to, set our, yeah, exactly. We have to set our biases aside as saints fans talking about this Falcons team. And we have to love, love our enemy for what they are. They are not going to give us points ex- unless you want to, unless you want to duck, like dip back in later and talk about Ritter, which might be the most fun arbitrage, um, Konami guy that there is because he's got all these weapons and it's okay that you want to fade more than consensus right now, both y'all, um, Pitts and London. That's totally understandable. I don't really want Pitts on teams that I'm competing in. Yeah, I don't want Pitts in my yeah. in lineups that I'm competing with, but I'm still infatuated with the guy. Me too. You know, he's still he's still an AJ Brown that we're tearing our hair out over for two years, saying mm-hmm. why won't anybody get him? And now he's uh, top six wide receiver, and he, he is doing his thing, and I don't. I, you can't discount who they'll be in dynasty. You can only discount what you can do with them at, in for the time being. So yeah. I'm not off of them uh, as a blanket. I'm off of them in certain situations and I'm very much on them in other situations. No, that, no, I think that makes a, absolute sense. I, I think there were a lot of 
affected landing spots for sure. And and I mean, let, let's let's get into some of them. Let's we got cool. obviously Falcons for Bijan, which w- we covered. <laughs> Seahawks get JSN. The Lions get Gibbs at twelve. Which I mean, if you're an analytic guy, the analytic guys are gonna. And and I am one. And this again, I kind of agree with Nate. Might be a little too high for Gibbs, but like that profile with top 15 draft capital you should probably take after the first QB off the board but that said you get Vikings with Addison Chargers Quentin Johnson Ravens Flowers Bills get Kincaid in the first trade up ahead of the Cowboys to do so and we mentioned a few times obviously the Seahawks maybe having not as much confidence in Kenny Walker as the dynasty community does drafting a, a bigger back with a very similar skill set limited passing production but more production than Kenny Walker had in passing by far. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. in one season, Zach Charbonnet had more passing production than Kenny Walker had in three years. Was that, that is, a college scheme situation or was that? Potentially, yeah. But also we have to remember that KW didn't actually get any touches that were meaningful until he transferred to Michigan State. Um, so that is, yeah, potentially some scheme, but it's not like he only caught 16 passes in that final is, year. Uh, is Charbonnet Kenneth Walker the... Is Kenneth Walker the Damian, Damian Pierce that we were all scared of? No, I think K-Dub is actually like legit. I just think this is saying that committees are going to become normal. Like it's going to be commonplace. And because, again, I'll round that out by saying Charbonnet is arguably the best pure pass blocker of any running back in this class. Like what he actually does that NFL teams go, that is worth a second round pick or that is worth an early third, is you can put him out there on third downs and teams are like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like another lineman that yeah, they can throw exactly to. <laughs> it's another lineman that can also gain four yards that can also run a swing route right mm-hmm. so it's it's yeah. exactly um with that like i think my favorite landing spot other than the obvious one of rb1 overall i loved addison to the vikings people were down on it i thought it was the best landing spot of all four of those wide receivers that went back to back to back to back to back i don't necessarily disagree with you though I like Zay Flowers to Baltimore a little bit more. Really? Wow. I want Nate, Nate pop off. <clears throat> okay. So everyone says, dude, what are you doing? This is a run heavy offense. It's not a run heavy offense anymore. This is oh Todd Monken's offense. This is the air raid offense. They are going to be throwing the ball like mad, which is all Lamar has wanted. So now you've given him Zay Flowers. He's got Rashad Bateman. We haven't seen Rashad Bateman pop, right? Right. He hasn't been on the field enough to really pop. And then they got him OBJ. Like, eh, who cares about that? The guy's washed. He's way past his prime. Two torn ACLs. Maybe he doesn't even have an ACL, depending on who you believe. And then you're going to give him Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers. This dude is an elite wide receiver and will be an elite wide receiver. And he's going to see elite volume in an offense. It's going to – because, look, they didn't upgrade at running back. They've got J.K. Dobbins, but he wasn't especially explosive until the end of last season. And we don't know what he's going to look like coming into 2023 if he can even stay healthy. He's had injury issues. That knee is not good. See, and that's the thing that people are like, well, no, it was just one injury. It was an ACL tear. But it was a really bad ACL tear that took him – And a meniscus. that took him a while to get back from – and players aren't always the same after those kinds of inner injuries, especially when they rely on that explosiveness. And then they tend to favor that knee, which causes other injuries. It causes ankle injuries. It causes hip injuries. It causes opposite knee injuries. So you start running into these this cycle of injuries. I don't think this is a team that's going to be running the ball a ton. I think they're going to let Lamar Jackson do his thing. And, dude, people are like, well, he can't throw. He had some issues the last couple of seasons. 
But, dude, he won MVP, and he had what? Like 40 touchdowns that season. 38. Led the 38 league. touchdowns. Led Hyper league. accurate. Hyper accurate. Yeah, dude 4, is a, yards. Can't dude's pass. a phenomenal right. passer. <laughs> yeah, sure. And now his offensive coordinator just won two national championships with a dude named Stetson Bennett at quarterback. What do you think he's going to do? Dimes. Dropping dimes. Now he's got Lamar Jackson, who is far above the passer that Stetson Bennett is. You think he's not going to be good? You think he's not going to run a tight offense that's going to compete for this division and maybe for the AFC when all is said and done? Like, get off of this whole run-heavy scheme, okay? They changed offensive coordinators for a reason. Roman's offense wasn't working anymore. And this isn't Monken's first time in the NFL. True. He has shown that he can be a really good offensive coordinator at the NFL level. So just had to go win two natties. Right. He just, he, he wanted two natties for fun. And now he's back in the NFL in a situation with a phenomenal quarterback and they got him Zay flowers. Like I, I just think this is my favorite wide receiver landing spot. I talk myself into it even more now. Yeah. You're, you're start, starting to talk me into it too, because I, I did once write and I pulled up the quote that I think Zay flowers might be the most pro ready receiver in this NFL draft. His years and experience in college should allow him to develop much quicker than his peers. Um, and that's also another reason, although they do have Lamar on the extension officially, and it was like the franchise tag was waived before the draft happened. I also think they are very much in a win now mode. Like they're not looking to develop a receiver. They want one that's going to walk into that offense and produce you. You throw him 90 balls. He's going to catch 75 for 900. Like that's the guy that they want to just walk in and do that. And I absolutely because of the cost of wide receivers. There's no more developing wide receivers in the, in the NFL. Right. I think they have to be ready if yep. they want to help the team because they're they're probably going to move around and be just completely tertiary pieces by the end of the rookie contract. I think you make a really good point there and that's that's kind of like a a tertiary point to use that word twice that <laughs> it always used to be assumed that like you know the wide receiver breakout you got like year two, year three is when you're going to see the wide receiver breakout and, and rookie running backs. Like if they don't show you anything in year one, there goes their value for year two, right? Speaking of a dynasty market, obviously guys get certain leashes within their teams, have a little later breakouts. a la Devonte Adams guys do take longer and snuff them under depth charts just for historic, like age reasons. Teams are old school, whatever sure. beyond the point. But with that said, I think Matt makes an excellent point is absolutely right. And you've seen it Many, many a times over the last, let's say even six to seven years, like you have to be good right away as a wide receiver in the NFL. There is no grace period anymore because of all the things we've alluded to during this episode. It's a copycat league. It's a pass happy league. It is getting to be a smaller, quicker league that is less focused on high impact and high contact situations, which creates higher scoring naturally, which is what the NFL as a business wants. It's what every sports league wants as a business. We're going from a clunkier machine to a machine with more faster moving parts. Right. Exactly. It's more efficient. Exactly. So I think the Ravens went out and got the guy that they felt like it's not going to take one, two, three weeks, even like for him to learn this scheme. Like Zay flowers is a guy that functioned on at a very, very high level at a very impressive level, specifically in a senior year on a horrendous offense and arguably had the best draft process of and me prospect regardless of position all you ever heard about when you looked up draft prospect news was zay flowers dominating another interview kansas city using a top 30 interview uh, visit on him when he was already in texas for a visit when they were going to say they re- would use top 12 on him and then kansas city saying no you know what we'll send patrick mahomes down there don't go anywhere 
Like so, Zay Flowers, Flowers was Flowers gained ten or twelve pounds for the combine too, right? Was mm-hmm. that him? Yeah, or was and, that yeah. and okay. still so ran a four four. <laughs> like, yeah, there's some dog. Yeah, he's no, got they some dog did in everything him. right. Certainly deserve this draft capital. So I think we can round that out by saying no. The market might be acting on it a little bit, but this wide receiver class is by no means disappointing when you're looking at those four first round wide receivers. Nate, you turned me on to Zay Flowers and I was going to be so excited to watch Good him time. go in every in every draft without me having a, you know, it's basically every time I watch him go, I'm watching somebody who I want get closer to me. I got, I'm already, I've already got FOMO and I'm only like an eighth of the way through my rookie drafts, man. Dude, I just took him at 111 today in a draft. Wow, that's great, oh, that's man. Great value, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who else are you so take? if you're in a league with me, please don't listen to my content until after the <laughs> dude. And, and I mean, I'll I'll do that quick rundown too, just because we mentioned Zay Flowers 111. I think that's phenomenal value. Your rookie drafts are going to play out pretty obviously, in my opinion. Not much changed after the draft, except analytics getting very enamored with Jameer Gibbs. You're going to see him go as high as one three, one four. That's mm-hmm. going to happen for sure. Um, but it's basically it's Bijan. It's the three quarterbacks. It's Gibbs and JSN and then Addison, Johnson, Flowers, however you want to mix those three up. After that, you're probably going to see Kincaid. And then that's where things get interesting. If people do start reaching on Levis or Josh Downs or those later, the Jalen Hyatts who only had third round or some of the Marvin Mims or, you know, Jaden Reed who got pushed up into higher rounds. If guys start reaching on those and you can get those Zay Flowers like this is where it kind of, as we've said a few times, like we shot ourselves in the foot with this class. We knew what should happen. And then when it happened, we're like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think that back end um, after that one nine, basically you're going to see a lot of people try to move out and take big discounts to do so. There might be a little bit of an avenue where you can kind of get your guy and what is always supposed to be a fun thing to play, which is fantasy football and pay basically the same risk cost, which is if somebody wants to go throw me a fourth so I can move back from 110 to 22 or 24 and that say flowers happens to fall to 110, I mean, let's go poppy. Yeah. I mean, nobody's asking for that little to move up eight spots in the 110 to two, two, that's four spots. One, four to two, four to one ten. Look, all, all I'm saying is that, uh, I'm happy to move back from one ten, but I, I need to be getting like two seconds. It doesn't matter too much where they are, but you won't want to be like two Oh four, two tens. Probably. Yeah, I just, I mean, I know that people are taking discounts just because, that consensus is going to be driven so strong that that tier is the same anyway. The one ten to two two to two four, sure if you want it, whatever. But I, you know, two two those last four picks, one ten, one eleven, one twelve, two one two two. It's going to be driven so hard that that's a tier that it'll be like just take anything on top of it. You're getting the same risk investment. You're yeah. getting the same hit rate. Take a third. Take a fourth. And people now we will sell that as sound my, advice. My cliff was one oh eight. I think it's Nate more just one, messed nine, it all one, up, man. Nate, I do what still. Sorry. I mean, they have first <clears throat> round shake things capital, up, man. man. But, but, that, but Nate up. makes such a great point. That's basically like a team is telling you that they're trying to change their offensive scheme. He has the, the Munkin point was capital. fantastic, he dude. I hadn't thought point. about that. I hadn't you thought know? about the coaching change. That that is a really big deal in that offense. You're right. And it's everything that we've said too. Like, again, you're kind of doing it to yourself, even though you gave yourself your own advice. Like these guys got first round draft capital. This is the NFL telling you like these receivers are better than you thought. 
Yep, very much. You know so. what I mean? So they are when you're getting to that. Oh, nobody's after one eight. It's trash. Like after Addison, or you know, because obviously he's the Belitnikov with the fifteen hundred yard season and forty five touchdowns. But I exaggerated slightly <laughs> for the listeners. Don't just, just a little. Yeah, um, but you know, it's like after that, it's like oh, it's trash. Like the QJ is such a risk. It's such a risk with Flowers. Oh, Kincaid, you don't want to spend a first on rookie tight ends when it's like, man, this is the NFL telling you we're moving in this direction. These are all of the check marks that you want to see in a prospect profile and analytic profile from a fantasy perspective. We are the billion dollar business of missing that is telling you this is what we're going to do with these players. And we're still being like, ah, bad class. You know, like, I think it's kind of crazy. Uh, and yeah, I'm yeah, fine taking that. The, this the, is the flowers, the Johnsons at 110 and what, like, fine with it. Dip. Like we always say, buy the dip. The dip yeah. that shouldn't be there. Yeah, you're right. Yep. And I do think there is a tier. Like I, I, we've talked about that tier and obviously there's succinct tiers. I, I don't think that it's ignorant or I do think it is ignorant to ignore that tier, but to say that it's like, you know, just move these picks for any gain or like these, you know, like take an extra second on, on top of one ten to move down, you know, five, eight picks is like, that's a, that's a bigger tier. <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot of the times, especially if people are getting a little wiser with, with what Matt said, where, you know, you, kept a lot of those early seconds to go on that running back run because you know that yeah the hit rates might be a little less as far as the model tells you but the more of them that you have the better chance that you have to flip a damian pierce for a 2023 first which a lot of people were doing at one point in time and again in hindsight does it look like that bad of a move i mean potentially not well time will tell um i do think that there's a lot of positive landing spots on the back end of this as well. Like I really liked Marvin Mims. We talked about that at the top of the pod. I, I liked Marvin Mims. I thought that was a positive landing spot in Denver. I thought Darnell Washington had absolutely horrendous landing spot in Pittsburgh. He's not going to outplay any sort of receiving role of Pat Fryermouth. He's like, a blocker. Fryermouth is such a good route runner. He's such a good pure receiver. And sure, Darnell's going to take all the run blocking snaps. <laughs> but I mean, that was a horrendous landing spot for me. Um, I don't like that the Packers went double tight end because now I don't know which one to draft. <laughs> um, so that was a little so, confusing. So if I you want to talk about one. cost, if you want to talk that about one cost, in my notes. We should, we, it's okay to talk about what uh, Belichick has been doing. He's been trying to go back to, go back to a uh, double tight end focused offense because go with the cheapest players and be ahead of the curve. And once you start getting the cheapest players and you can fill in the rest with cheap rookies, um, them draft if they're spreading it out and now all of a sudden three smaller, faster wide receivers are basically doing what one small fast wide receiver and one big wide receiver was doing uh, in the last generation, which we'll call like every eight years or something <clears throat> we might, because there's getting to be uh, an extra small, fast person, basically per team, you can, it wouldn't, I mean, they should be getting another big person to balance that out. And that's going to be a cheap, tight end so it makes sense that, yeah. that there's going to be more of a dispersion of responsibility uh, and amongst uh uh running backs as well if it's going to be committee by running backs if it's going to be three rod receiver sets and it's going to be a lot of uh 12 personnel with two two tight ends because they need they need uh they're replacing their wide receiver responsibilities of big guys in the end zone more with the get away with the chip tight ends. so yeah. there's just as the as things are are changing it's just a good, really good time of a really good year 
to be ahead of it with all these tight ends coming out and just getting scooping up a bunch of late ones. So like you, you don't know which, uh, which green Bay tight end to get, right. You almost just want to say, Hey, get the cheaper one. Like the, right. the way yeah, yeah, like yeah. Baltimore themselves, they, they took a uh, Hayden Hurst and then they took Mark Andrews a few years later. Now, if you're, if you're smart or a tight end guy, like, like our boy, uh, Coop, Coupe fiasco. He'll he he took when he took Mark uh when he took Hayden Hurst because he was a first round pick. He would just taxi Mark uh, Mark Andrews. So I guess the answer is just always because there's because it's spreading all of his responsibility. Just take two of the late ones, it, and yeah, that's basically going to be my answer better. to every question you have. Is just like do you want this? <laughs> do you want this? Like give me two of the late ones because it's not going to be much. I think that's good advice, especially with the tight ends, because uh, again, like it's common knowledge now, but how late you see their supposed career breakouts and and i'll i'll give a great one too to to piggyback on your exact mentality there is uh zach Ertz and dallas goddard right it was yes. they, they didn't care that they had a four-time all pro tight end yep they drafted the best player available and it happened to be another tight end that happened to work out very very well for them and again it, it's kind of that cost above replacement where you get them cheap now you don't have to extend Ertz for the money that the cardinals had to pay him and things of that nature so yeah obviously i don't think it's a necessarily a bad practice and i do think that there could be a little bit more of a changing of the guard in that sense where that is kind of how you see teams build out um especially if you're going to see more success with teams having that superstar tight end in general now obviously travis kelsey is a unicorn but you look at you know the buffalo bills went and spent first round draft capital on somebody that they think can be travis kelsey and you've seen kansas city obviously run the tables on teams and and how new england was doing it for years and years and years it is a formula that seemingly works very well <laughs> what is having that, that Big tight that? end oh. that can catch, and then supplementing the other tight end work with that traditional blocker. Oh, you're talking. Oh, so, so we're back on Darnell Washington now. I mean, we always were, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> in all honesty, yeah. it, it works, but combine. it's a terrible landing spot because any any upside specifically that you wanted for Darnell, we knew there was a very slim window for his pass catching upside. For sure, yeah, he had the athleticism. Check, best run blocker of anybody in any position. <laughs> check like he you know we knew he was going to get nfl draft capital simply because of the run blocking and he still got pretty decent draft capital for a so tight end it, and he did find a guy where he'll have no pass catching that just ruins him and that's there is and that, no that, avenue that, for that routes. brings another specific nuance to how this draft fell is because these guys that we were thinking like oh my god he could have a chance he would be awesome and then he falls behind a guy who's um I remember seeing a, a tweet like six months ago and it was like, Oh, what are the, what are those spots that you don't want to see running backs fall to? And everybody was naming the same 12 spots. And what it comes down to is just, it's the 12 spots that the 12 dynasty 12 top 12 dynasty yeah. running backs were in. And you're like, that's not a formula guys. You're just talking about the teams who already have the, the archetype that you want, but the archetype is changing. So, uh, it's you know all these guys that like I was I was probably gonna do a, a early second on Izzy Vanakanda. I was probably gonna do you know a lot of people were gonna do early seconds on Darnell Washington. A lot of people were gonna do early seconds on um, a lot of people were gonna do late firsts on Charbonnet, but he went to where Ken Walker is there, and like all these guys are landing behind guys. But if all of them are landing behind guys, like it's okay to kind of still lean into Izzy. Shouldn't be going in at like three five. 
he's uh mm-hmm. he's going to be right behind Brees, who's coming off yeah. of an injury, and there's nobody else there. I mean, Michael Carter's fine, but there's just uh there's a lot of opportunity hidden behind these top guys, and Darnell what Darnell Washington fell in under it, and. I don't I think wanting to stay I, I genuinely think like Darnell is dead. He yeah, we I needed him to go to I like the too. Titans where there right. were or the Panthers where there yep. was like Hayden Hurst or somebody in front of him where they would actually be like, Hey buddy, run, run a few routes here. There they Pat Fryermouth is a top five dynasty tight end. Like they're not going to go saying, take yeah. the routes away from, from this guy that has caught 17 touchdowns over two seasons. Yeah. No. Right, like they're just not no. going to do that. Whereas, whereas yeah. Darnell Washington, over his college career, caught such a three. Specialist. He caught three out of his while he was on the field. Over a hundred touchdown passes were thrown, and he got three of them. Yeah, that's Darnell Washington. As big right. as he is, as as like fast as he is, as uh, ready as he is. Damn so God. we just needed an NFL team to tell us, like, look, we're going to let this guy run routes, and the Steelers told us we got a new fullback. It's not good. <laughs> Yeah. That's kind of, you know, that, and, and so the reason that I was bringing Darnell up and kind of stamping my flag on that is he would have been probably my, my Vontae Mac of the, of that second round of like, I want to leave every draft with this player after people take Kincaid, after people take Meyer and Laporta, like I'm okay spending a late second, whatever on Darnell still, I guess we'll do it probably a few times, <laughs> but not necessarily okay with it anymore. He was my guy that I was like, I really do want to leave drafts with this guy. I want to leave drafts with this guy in the first round. I would say now, like, I don't want to leave a draft without one of JSN or Addison. I really, really want one of those wide receivers. I think they will career arc as the best wide receivers in this class. So now with that said, our last like flag plant of the episode, start with Nate the one rookie that you can't leave this class without. And if you don't have that, then tell me who you think the best rookie of the class is going to be sans Bijan. Well, I think I already kind of alluded to this. If I don't have a top five pick, it's Zay flowers. Or if I, if I miss on flowers, Dalton Kincaid, because I think he's going to be huge in Buffalo. He's that big pass catching, reliable pass catching tight end that they've needed. And they kind of had in Dawson Knox, but Dawson, Dawson Knox. So touchdown dependent. I think yep. we're going to see the volume from Kincaid to where, I mean, he, maybe he's a top five tight end moving forward in dynasty. I don't think that's out of the question for him. I think landing spot dictates he very well could be. So, I mean, it's, yeah, for me, it's Kincaid and flowers. I already stated my case on flowers. We don't need to hear that. again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Matty boy, you're Vontae Mack. Who's your sticky note? Like you're not leaving your draft without this guy. You'll move, not necessarily you'll move mountains to get him, but like where your picks land, you'll put him ahead of the, at the top of that tier, so to speak. So I'm glad you ended the question like that because I hate being at the tops of tiers and that's the problem. That's why I can't, I can't plant a flag on anybody because I'm so value-based. You know, Bruce Lee, be like water. I don't want to pick at 102. I want to pick at 104. I don't want to make a decision at, at, as to who I want from Gibbs or uh, JSN. I want that decision to be made for me. So just be like water uh, with, with jujitsu. You, you use your enemy's uh, energy against them and you let them do what they want. I don't want to flag plant in this class. Uh, I can I can talk about people whose values I think are getting completely overlooked. I think that uh, I just took 
and Nate, I'm a little upset with you about making me regret it right now at 109. Uh, I took Sharves instead of instead of the instead of Flowers instead of the fourth wide receiver that would have been off the board because uh, I <laughs> will say this went, with that and decision. then Quentin. It was JSN and then Quentin and Addison, and then it would have been Flowers. Except uh, I, I think as much as we discounted the entire running back class, we way overdid it with that. And not only that, but I don't know how Charbonnet got dragged into there. He was always gonna he was uh, to most to to me to most people to me. So for me, I want there. I want. Uh, I think pass protection is so important in uh today's nfl i think it's what sets running backs apart and gets them on the field in times that there are the the most points to be gained through uh ppr fantasy so if you want to get on the field in third down be a guy that pete carroll trusts just be a guy that you can be a 32 year old mckinnon and you're worth more than uh ceh because the yeah. pass protection is there so if you have an all-around bell cow back and who took him and where you got an old head like Pete Carroll who wants an old school back who he can depend on. And he took him where old old head running backs would be taken uh, by old head coaches like Pete Carroll. And in that running back room, um, now there's two studs who got, well, both got taken, I think second round, Ken Walker might've been yep. second round. Okay. Second round. So he's got, so he's got two stud running backs and then you've got a bunch of guys that are climbing up. So in the drafts that I've done so far, I've watched uh, Devin A. Chain and Kendra Miller both go above him. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a third one, but there's these guys creeping up because people are like, oh, well, A. Chain's super, super fast. Let's forget about his 188 uh, weight, 180 pounds, because he went to a Shanahan disciple. Woohoo. He's super fast. He could be awesome in there but you know what shanahan disciples do they have three-headed running back rooms and they're splitting between a guy that mike mcdaniel brought with him from 49ers um jeff Two. wilson and another guy that he did the same thing with in raheem mostert so i don't know why we're assigning this 188 pound guy bell 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 cow duties in a traditionally three running down running down system um and not just that but then then we get a Kendra miller and you know it's hard for me matt I, I, you, with, I, I want to make a Kendra Miller luxury pick because he's a saint now and it's more fun when you're, when you get to pull for the people that you want to pull for and blah, 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 blah. He's a plotter. He's never been a pass catcher and he's splitting the room with, um, not just, we don't know what's going to happen with Camaro. People are counting him out for dead, but he might play 10 games this year and we don't know what Dennis Allen's doing. And it's not a super explosive offense. And then he, we also just got Jamal Williams. So like, why would I take Kendra Miller at 111 with an arbitrage to, you know, why would I take either, either a chain or Kendra Miller? If I can arbitrage, you know what I did yesterday? I sold my a chain. I sold my picket at 111. That would, that the guy ended up taking a chain, uh, a chain. And in return, I got, um, Derek Henry and two thirds. And with the two thirds, I went out and bought Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. So now I got yeah, Derek Henry. Good move. Yeah, that's now good I move. got Derrick Henry and two thirds of a Shanahan running uh, running back room, and some dudes like my 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 188 pound dude is going to be like he's going to be good for years, and that's just that's the arbitrage to do. I think that we're we I, and I don't know how we forgot that uh, the guy that we always liked the most went around ahead of these guys that are uh, jumping into more cluttered backfields. So I guess I'll say Charbonnet if you make me. Yeah, it took you six minutes, but. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
Yeah. Um, all right. Well, with that, I mean, I think that's going to wrap it up. We got our flag plants. We got our hot takes. We went through the rookie landing spots. We covered it all. I mean, thanks for joining in, everybody. Nate, where can they find you? Tell them what you're working on. Well, I've got some irons in the fire right now. Primarily, you can find me in between media. I put four to six articles out a month for fantasy pros, but you can find all my work at Nate Paul, but on Twitter and wait for some updates coming soon. Hopefully. Right on. I'm, I'm excited about those updates. I'm always onto your content, man. One of the best in the industry. No lies, no Appreciate jokes, that, man. Matt, tell them where they can find you. What are you working on? Hey buddy. Um, so I just got picked up by the undroppable at the undroppables. Um, it's on Twitter. Uh, they got a great website. Uh, they do. We, it's just a really fun crew. We, uh, we do a lot of round tables and, uh, streaming and podcasts and uh, check out the website um, and just follow along through the draft season because there's it's there's so much going on below the surface that you can't just, uh, you know, take these blurbs about player profiles. You you really got to, you know, get your hands, both hands into the, the ground meat and get into it. Yeah, and, and one of those places that you can get both your hands in is at Brodo Fantasy, of course. Please consider downloading the app. It's absolutely free. It has all of the stats and news and everything we've just talked about, breaking news notifications, um, exclusive data and exclusive statistics that are intricate to fantasy specifically, so not just numbers and analytics, but we tie those into specifically how those players score fantasy points and how those analytics transition to fantasy production specifically. Um, yeah, the app's got the podcast on it, coaching cards, player and coaching tendencies, uh, player comps, which are obviously fire at this time of the year when you're looking at all the rookies coming in and who they could compare to. Also head over to patreon.com slash fantasy for as little as $3 a month. You help keep the lights on and get access to the discord, which has access to Casanova's DFS optimizer and the community of betting that we've got there. Um, doing NBA playoffs right now, obviously hockey playoffs, baseball. The boys have lots of baseball dugout content as well as the Patrop brothers like to do. You can find the Petropolises and the Brodo Army at Brodo Fantasy on Twitter um, and at BrotoFantasy.com. I'm at PsychWardFF, Matt Ward. Much love, much respect. Until next week.